You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Galante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast, and uh, got a got a fun, great guest coming on to the show right now, uh, Liz Kiger. Um, well, I just want to say welcome to the show, Liz. It's 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 a wonderful treat to be able to talk to you. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like so ecstatic to be on your podcast today. Yeah, it's um, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, and to just introduce uh, you to the to the listeners, um, I came in contact uh, with uh, with Liz and um, the work she's doing with the Brooklyn uh, Telemann uh, Chamber Society and um, uh, uh, video productions of um, some classic um, opera content. Um, but she's also a, a teacher. Uh, plays the violin and will tell us many other things um, that that she does. But so so Liz, we're reaching you from the from 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 New York, from the the great state of New York um, and uh, uh, Brooklyn. But I usually start off the show with artists and say, "Hey, uh, when you when you were born, were, were you an artist? Were you thinking and doing these things when you were when you were a little kid?" Um. I I don't know if I was an artist right out of the womb per se. I think <laughs> I think that'd be a little narcissistic if I thought that. Um, but when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with writing stories. So I would um, I was really particularly obsessed with like Sailor Moon, and I would write these stories in these notebooks I have, and then I would act out all of the characters in these stories. And I wouldn't do it for anyone else. I would just kind of um, do it alone in my room. Um, so that's kind of where I think all of the art creation began. And then um, I would sing constantly. My mom um, plays the piano. And um, I would sit next to her on the piano bench and um, I would turn the pages <laughs> while she yeah. played. And so I think that's kind of where my art beginning began. Um, but I don't know if I would be an artist um, in such broad terms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, th- I think a lot of times when we try to get into it, just seeing almost sometimes it seems with artists, those things that were supposed to happen, those things that would develop or would not develop. And I want to go to, um, I want to mention, as you may have noticed, um, in some episodes recently have explored um, opera and uh, a a form which for me as, as the host of the show, um, I'm very curious and I, I get to kind of explore areas and, and, and talk, you know, intimately with artists to, to kind of learn more, particularly in areas that I, I don't know as much about. Um, one of the one of the wonderful uh, ideas and, and things uh, that, that you've been working on um, is a, a video, a high quality video uh, production of um, Orfeo. And um, uh, two things, Liz, I, I, I want your 
a grand introduction to or or fail. And, um, but I also want, um, you to tell me about what does this look like, you know, uh, on, on film, opera on film, what do you, what are you trying to, what are you trying to do? It's, it seems so vital and, and fresh, but what's, what's your project? What are you up to? So, um, Brooklyn Telemann Chamber Society, our big mission as a company, um, is to provide, these kind of performance opportunities to emerging artists, and in particular LGBTQIA artists. And one of the big things for emerging artists is content, promotional content. We always need promotional content. And I've been in so many shows over, God, the past like 20 years, I guess. Ah, I'm old. <laughs> um where I don't have a single photo that I was in the show. I don't have a single video. I have nothing. There's no proof that this event ever happened other than it like being on my resume. So initially when um, I came up with the idea for our first movie, L'Incora Nazione di Popea by Monteverdi, which we released um, last, last May. So initially the thing about it was, you know, I want my artists to have, you know, proof and content from these things that we've created because you spend all of this time, you know, making this huge production and show, and then you have absolutely nothing to literally show for it afterwards. So that was kind of the catalyst. And then um, while we were kind of in the process of the first movie, we realized how important this new art form is for opera. I mean, when you tell people that you sing opera or that you do anything with opera, it's such like, it's such like a boring, antiquated thing, you know, like people, when they think of opera, you think of like that Hey Arnold episode, if, if you're at like a 90s <laughs> kid like me, where they, you know, <laughs> go to the opera and they all fall asleep, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, it's, everyone just thinks it's either this grand art form or it's this really boring, dumb thing. And the truth of the matter is classical music is everywhere in everything we do in film scores. One of my favorite examples when I like talk to my kids, um, my, my students, kids, not my like literal kids is um, there used to be this canine Advantix um, commercial on TV and canine Advantix was like a flea commercial. Okay. And the song in the canine Advantix, hello, mother, hello, father, please oh, mosquitoes, yeah. really bother. Sorry, I have not warmed up today to actually sing. But um, that song is like a, a big piece of classical music. And so it's literally everywhere and everything that yeah. we do. And it feeds the pop music that we listen to right now. So I think finding these new forms to bring this, to make it more relevant and to make it more accessible is so cool because even when my like, you know, 11 year old students like saw the trailer for Ofeo, for example, they were like, whoa, what is this? You know, it's yeah. like when it's like Greek mythology where these stories pass down through generations and generations and generations. And we still think like, you know, we still think that the Oedipus thing is like crazy. You know, we still find these stories really, really engaging and we still connect with them so much. So, uh, so kind of moving forward from that, like um, 
being able to put these into film versions where we have these beautiful cinematic backgrounds and we have the transitions and the quality that we're used to from seeing, you know, with Netflix and HBO and all that kind of stuff, but then taking this classical music and putting that into it, I think is going to, you know, make people interested, make it fresh, make it new, make it alive again, because these stories are the same stories that we're telling. And they're just like so much in the human psyche and experience that we want to hear them again. And we want to hear the music too. Um, It's like when kids do like choral classes, they get so into this chorus music and they love creating it. They love singing it. They love hearing it. But because it's not, you know, accessible, you know, it just kind of fades into the background. So that's, that's kind of in a nutshell what we're doing. Sorry, I'm not the most like eloquent speaker in the world. <laughs> you, uh, Liz, Liz, uh, you're, 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 you're perfect for the show. Um, this is, this is, it is, uh, I, I really love to hear about, you know, what you're intending, uh, with it. Hey, I was wondering too, um, with regards to the production, uh, you mentioned specifically um, uh, GLBTQ, I questioning, um, you know, as far as uh, a, a focus or an inclusivity to um, to to the project. Tell me, I'm on the outside of the opera world. What, what is that? What is what does that mean for the for the opera world and for you know, folks to see that and for that to be a value within um, the production? I think it's huge. Um, So having any company with any sort of inclusivity focus right now is so important because um, all all of these big companies, it's only within the last like five, 10 years that these big companies like the Met, like La Scala are making changes and, you know, showcasing inclusivity. Um, And I know part of that, and the sad thing is part of that is because it's now popular to be inclusive. Um, And it, they should have been, you know, trying to be inclusive all along. I remember when I first moved to New York City in like 2015, I went to the first um, production of Othello where they did not use blackface at the Metropolitan Opera. 2015, it took them that long. In 2015 for the production. Having companies that have this focus is so important. And as a member of the LGBTQIA community, you know, I want to really bring that in and have, you know, 90% of our staff and our cast and crew um, be LGBTQIA. Um, but also to have, you know, inclusivity just a- a- across the board. Um, I think, you know, especially because classical music is so, you know, there's a certain level of privilege that allows you to be um, exposed to it both early on and later in life and trying to like, you know, trying to lift each other up and lift people up as someone who like didn't come from privilege. <laughs> um I just, I think that's really important. It's a, it's a big part of my mission. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and thank you. Thank you for, for that. Um, yeah. And, and like I said, just, just, uh, 
I've known, I've been attracted to, I think at least right now, looking at, um, I don't know, different productions. Uh, I had uh, Madison Marie McIntosh on uh, recently and just the different type of productions and just learning from the performers themselves and, you know, what's going on with this, you know, a very traditional uh, uh, form in, um, in, in just seeing what it, what it looks like now. And even you had mentioned too, as far as I think what we would look at some of the uh, assets or the video or the content that you end up creating. And I think in opera and being so transitory, transitory, if it isn't captured. So um, just, just wonderful that you're able to, to capture uh, elements of it. And so that the creators can connect to that, you know, directly. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, the capturing, it's it's both for the, the people creating it as well as, you know, for the audience and and to, to help bring it to more people. If, I mean, if you've only got there have been a lot of shows that I've been in where it's been like a one night only thing, which means that, you know, mom, dad can't come. Friends can't come, you know. So I think um, I just think that this is the future of opera especially, but also like so many art forms since, you know, technology is such a huge part of our lives now. Yeah. Well, so, uh, so we don't lose it. Um, uh, for listeners, this, this show will be released right around the time that, uh, the, the video, uh, will be available. Why don't you just take this opportunity, Liz, let folks know what they do, um, to see the production. Yeah, so um, the production will be on YouTube for a free online stream um, May 10th. And then we will have a few premieres here in New York City as well, like physical premieres. We have one at um, 101 Wilson. Um, and that screening also comes with a specialty cocktail designed for the show. <laughs> um, so if wow. you drink, that's a great opportunity for you to come. And then um, the second will be at Pete's Candy Store on June 30th. And they have like a separate backspace where they'll have like the screening. It's really quite beautiful. And that performance will um, also have a live performance aspect to it as well. We'll have a few of our singers um, perform live before the screening. Yeah. But- well, that's, that sounds wonderful. And I don't know, June 30th uh, in Brooklyn outside with the screen specialty specialty drinks. Sounds like a pretty uh, appealing invitation. Uh Thanks. Thanks so, so May sixteenth indoor at one hundred and one Wilson, and then June thirtieth um, at Pete's Candy Store, and then May tenth is the online stream. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right, uh, Liz, uh, you're a thinker. You're a creator. You're busy. Um, you make things. <laughs> I gotta know uh, for you, the artist. What is art, and why? Why do you why do you do it? Well, you, you you put a lot of yourself into this thing. What what is it, and why are you doing it? It's just such a giant question to ask someone with only like three words. What is art? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an overwhelming one. Um, I guess. I don't know. I think it's the it's the expression of our internal monologue. 
if that makes sense. If I'm going to like put it as like succinct as possible, yeah. I think it's it's the expression and the ability to have freedom of expression of our internal monologue. Yeah, I I haven't thought about it in in, in those terms as a verbal processor in the in inner monologue. That makes a that makes a ton of sense, <laughs> a ton of sense uh, for me. And and uh, I think what I attach to is the sensitivity of uh, showing that or expressing that, right? And I think that's the that's the challenge and the leap for artists. Um, yeah, there's so much vulnerability involved in like literally everything you create, whether it's like um, last weekend was uh, Greek Orthodox Easter. So my partner and I made sureki, which is like the bread. So even like the vulnerability and like sharing this sureki recipe and like creating that with them versus, you know, creating a whole movie, you know, there's so much vulnerability in, in sharing that expression of, of, of our monologue of who we are and our story. And we do yeah. that every day in these little things like, like baking with your partner or these huge things. Like this is my performance. This is my magnum opus, you know? Um, and even in things that we create like collaboratively. Um, so I also, um, before I was able to do music, before I was able to afford to do music full time, um, I used to travel internationally as a full time model and I'm an analog photographer, photographer, and I still do quite a bit of that. Um, and even when you're making something, you know, so collaborative, such as like photographic art, yeah. there's still a huge vulnerability aspect, not just between the, the, the creator and the subject, but also um, the piece itself as a, as a whole, like to be presented, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for, thank you for sharing that, um, sharing that Liz. What do you think the, what do you think the, the role of art is, is, is now, um, you know, uh, I, I've, the, the pendency of the podcast is mostly through like started before the pandemic and during the pandemic. And I found kind of like just different vibes around like what, what is, what, what's art supposed to be doing? You know, is it helping us survive? Uh, is it kind of just caught up into our economic system and becomes a thing? You know, like there's all sorts of divergent views, but what do you, what do you think the role of, of, of art is um, right now? Or you could even say specifically the role of, of the particular art form of opera in 2022. Okay. Um, well, the first thing I thought of when you asked, like, what is the role of art was like my brain immediately went to like the bastardization of art in regards to like the commercial sense and, yeah, um, you know, everything having to be sold and, and bought and used for. I mean, and there's good and evil in regards to like promotional purposes of art and that kind of a thing. But that's immediately what I thought of, which... I guess there's something about me as like a person. I guess I'm a really negative person. <laughs> I go to the um, same spot, Liz. Like I, that's the first spot I go to as well. But like, yeah, the the role, like what's it supposed to be doing for us? Even if it's caught up into some of those ads, what's it supposed to be doing? I think, I think it really depends 
on the person and the situation. Um, I know for for a lot of people, um, it can be the only way that they can really connect with other people. The only way that they can, you know, as, I mean, especially in the pandemic when like, <laughs> I, I know I was trapped in my apartment for four months alone um, at the start of the pandemic, unable yeah. to leave. So for me, like having the Popea production, like in the back of my head, like I was like, okay, this is a way that I can be a part of something other than trapped in my own head. This is how I can work with others and create with others. And this is, you know, something to kind of push me. Yeah to be, to, to, to be as like a, a whole, not just, you know, the, the act of being, I guess is the way to put it. Um, so I think for a lot of people, they, I feel like a lot of people feel that way. Um, but then for other people, um, I don't think it is like, you know, the, the catalyst for being like, I think for a lot of people art you know, is, going to a bar and like hanging out and like listening to these great bands and like dancing and just having fun. And the art is like, it gives you like the permission to have fun and to like enjoy life and to like be present in life and enjoy it. And I don't, and I also think it's important that while I'm like making these like dichotomies, like one is not, you know, grander or more precious than the other. I think you know, for people that art is everything to them is like, that's great. And then for people who, you know, maybe they're like a scientist by day, but they just like love like hanging out at jalopies and like dancing, you know, it it doesn't mean anything less. It's not greater in one of these dichotomies, you know, yeah. but I think it, I think it's just, um, it, it helps us. I think without it, we don't, give ourselves permission, you know? Does that make sense? I feel like I sound kind of stupid. No, 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 Liz, it makes, and, and I, I really picked up on the part of the permission to have fun. I mean, sometimes there's a succinct way of just stating things like permission to enter into another world, permission to have fun, permission to breathe, permission to see that like life is better than it appears at, at times, you know? So I, I think there's a great, part of that because if the permission is, seems to be there when we experience art then we're able to behave differently and and yeah that's why yeah so um i i i really enjoy that i really uh, vibe with what what you're saying there um liz uh so you're a teacher um i represent uh teachers by my day job uh in the k-12 system but i always find it a a pretty interesting uh area to discuss as far as the kind of the like reflex reflexive aspect of 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 you teaching and in teaching whether it's uh vocal or i believe with the the violin what you learn in the process in being able to uh teach and whether um what you gain from the kind of the art that's within uh teaching what you know what i gain from the art that's within teaching. Yeah. Sorry, I think you can hear that New York ambulance siren that's going right now. So <laughs> this is 
uh, Liz, like this code, like this is this is a street podcast at its at its at its at its base. So, you know, like um, uh, Brook Brooklyn with the overheads, yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, <laughs> great. No, but great. The, art, the art of teaching, or, or or where you're able to learn, teach in 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 what your you know your specialty knowledge is. Wow. Okay. This is a huge question. Um, well, I guess, um, on a more like base level, my, like my specialty knowledge is Baroque music. Okay, (laughs) cool. Um, and I teach violin and I teach, um, voice as well. Um, but I feel like, I feel like a lot of what I teach you know, isn't necessarily teaching the instrument. And I feel like anyone who takes music, took music lessons as a kid or took music classes in school, you know, feels the same way. Um, I was just talking to some friends about it last evening, but I feel like so much of what I teach is how to learn and how to, not how to think, because I'm not like teaching them their thoughts, but, you know, how to, um, how to problem solve, how to critically analyze, how to not give up, how to have like work ethic in the face of adversity. And they're all different kinds of adversity, not just like, you know, time management adversity, um, but also like access to supplies adversity, access to time, well, access to time adversity, obviously, but also um, like even like your like, inner frustrations, like combating those kind of adversities. I know for myself, like, um, that was a huge thing for me was, um, like kind of overcoming my own perfectionism and that, um, being a huge part of like my emotional adversity. Yeah. So I I definitely talk to my students, well, all my clients, because I, I also teach adults as well, about these kind of things. Like, you know, it's a lot of, I guess people call it like mindfulness now, but learning how you work and then becoming patient with who you are as a person and learning to circumvent the things about yourself that, you know, aren't your favorite things about yourself. <laughs> and then um, finding ways and paths and patterns to help teach yourself. Like one big thing I tell everyone that I, that I work with is like the goal of these lessons is so that you don't have to have a teacher. Like I know so many teachers that kind of like withhold knowledge in a way and gatekeep and, and they do that because they want to keep their clients forever and they want to have this stream of income forever. And you know, it's that's smart in a way, but I think the goal for me with my clients is like, I want you to feel so good about the art that you're able to to create and the things that you're able to make, and I want you to be able to to read this music for yourself and analyze this music for yourself and analyze this text, and I want you to not need me anymore. Like, I'll put the floaties on, <laughs> and I'll help you learn to swim. But eventually you're going to take them off and you're going to go into the ocean and become a mermaid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, organizing and, and, and empowering and, and, and sharing. Um, it's a, it's a really, it's a really powerful, powerful model. And, um, 
uh, we're speaking with Liz Kiger and um, just uh, uh, speaking about uh, opera, about video, about audio, about about teaching. Uh, Liz, I had a particular question with you, of course, with opera being, you know, um, the the sound of the human voice uh, projecting the story with with movement. I wanted to ask about just a little bit of the feel when you're trying to capture that bigness of the opera on 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 video, where maybe a little bit more reliant upon the sound Um what is it like to in, incorporate the video elements and in 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 this in in sound um, in presenting this visually via film? What 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 is, is it? Something different? Um, does it does it work pretty well for you in in trying to do this? Yeah, uh, I definitely think so. Um, especially with our new show. Um... There's this, so the image in my head when I came up with the concept for how we would, I guess, stage is, isn't the right word, but it's the word I'm going to use yeah, yeah. of how we would like stage this production is um, Orfeo is in this giant field and it's kind of, my head kind of had this a little bit of a sound of music-y thought to it where, you know, the scene where Julie Andrews is in the field and her arms are out and she's spinning yeah. and you see nothing, you know, this expanse of um, everything behind her in the mountains and, and her voice just soars and fills up that space. Yeah. And I feel like that is what I wanted to create sound and visual wise is that same blossoming um, aspect. And I think that we are able to capture that. And I think we did a, an excellent job with it um, because um, so much of the film is outdoors. Um, we had to, we had to overdub the audio for the outdoor segments. Yeah. But um, what we did is half of the movie is indoor. So the hellscape component of the Orfeo myth is indoor and is recorded on location. The sound and the um, images are same time. So we took that and then we, our sound engineer um, configured the dubbing to have that same, that same warmness of tone and a very similar resonance quality so that you could kind of get that expanse of sound. Wow. Um, I, uh, I could, there was a, a piece when you were describing just that backdrop of the sound, the music, kind of like that openness and filling up, uh, with, with sound. I'm really excited. To, I'm really excited to see this. And as everybody you've heard, uh, will be available right around, uh, just about the same time this, uh, lovely interview with Liz, um, as is made available to you. Um, so, uh, Liz, I have um, I have another uh, couple bigger questions, um, but one is is a little bit more towards like uh, who you are and how you create, and it's a general question. And it's what or who made you who you are. Um, 
so I think a big part of what made me who I am is um, my traumas. And I don't really want to get into details about that kind of stuff. But um, what I can say is I have um, like complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And so living with that has been, you know, a journey. Yeah. (laughs) And um, a lot of what I create and what I think and what I feel and how I interact with the world around me has to do with that and has to do with those experiences and has to do with how I've grown to manage having that and these experiences. Um, so yeah, I think that's a huge, huge aspect of, of who I am. And, and I used to be kind of, um, ashamed of that (laughs) and ashamed that, you know, I guess a lot of people talk about like being, you know, victims of their illness or being like survivors of their illness. And I hate both of those words. I think they're both terrible. (laughs) Um, But I know that because I've had these experiences, I, I relate to the world around me very differently than a lot of people who have not. And I know that the art I create has this very particular lens that's particular to me. Um, And so it is just a huge part of me and I'm learning not to feel shame about it. And I'm learning to just be like, this is just what it is, you know? I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. No, I and, and and thank you for sharing that. I I when I when I started the show, I I don't know what I was thinking about, but I think in general it was about you know um, popular philosophy and, and and talking about creating really cool things like songs that you lose your mind over, uh, movies that you obsess about and watch forty times, or like any you know. <laughs> And in, in, in creators and what they do to create these wild things that make our lives uh, better. And so I quickly moved and saw that it wasn't just psychological, but connecting things of uh, transformation, of, of creativity to move through things, of creativity to show comfort in how we choose to express ourselves. I just found a great it wasn't a solution for everything at all, but I, I just found that when I was talking art the way I wanted to talk about art, I was talking about healing, overcoming, freedom, and getting through. And I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. Like I, it, but now I know it, and um, I really appreciate you, you you sharing that. And I think it's um, it can be a difficulty for artists to to, to say you know, these are the very difficult things that are here that are part of me. And what I try to create is, is connected to that is, um, so not to explain it all away, but you know, thank you. It, it's really where my show keeps going to, um, is about how, how we're, how we're doing, how we're expressing ourselves. And, uh, 
Thank yeah, you. I think you put that all like so eloquently. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard stuff to talk about. Like, I mean, so many artists have, you know, various illnesses and traumatic experiences and such. And um, it is really common for us to, to have these things in our lives. But like you said, like it's the way it affects so much the way we relate to the world and, and yeah. And how some people want to, some people want to express what they've gone through. Other people want to find healing for what they've gone through. I feel like neither of those particular things apply to me. Um, But I do know that it's changed the way I see life. Um, I have a friend who, the way that I kind of um, metaphorically think about it is I have a friend who is colorblind, but in this very specific way where her colorblindness, she sees, you know, everything in these pastel tones and she sees like brown hair as like lilac and um, green eyes as like orange. And this is the way she, she's, she sees and right. she is a photographer and um, the way that she edits and captures images are so soft and gentle and feminine. And she just has such a unique perspective and take on, take on the world. Um, this photographer, by the way, is um, Sydney DeHaven. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, as I like share her praises, I should say her name, you know. Um, and... And I feel like, you know, she she's able to create this this unique, beautiful art because of literally the way she sees. And I feel like, um, yeah, I feel the same way about how our trauma and our experiences affect us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, wow. And that must next next artist to to look up. Thank you for doing that. That's one great thing about talking with artists is uh, all the all the following leads from it. Um, Liz, I got the I got the big question to to ask you. Um, and I think you're in a position to to answer it. Uh, why is there something rather than nothing? You say that question, and I immediately think of SLC Punk, which is a movie I haven't seen since I was like 11 years old or something. Um, So I think of those guys that, I forget what it's called, um, who, who don't believe in anything in the world that they don't believe in. They don't believe in, you know, how anything affects anything. Mm-hmm. And and you see their lives and you see how, how meaningless and upsetting it is. And so I think there I think there has to be I think there has to be something rather than nothing. <laughs> because why why am I having this conversation with you? Like why am I why am I here? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the there's always like with within this discussion, um, I I like about it is that there's within like the nothingness that there isn't you know the potential for a lack of meaning or a nihilism, which is kind of like the counter to to thinking about art is that there that there is that there is something like that we are trying to um create something do something that there is something substantial to it and i think we have like this sticking belief and hope to that i do i do <laughs> and uh, otherwise i think it doesn't uh make make as much sense i what i like about this question liz is like there's something about it in the pauses and the laughter. There's something about philosophy sometimes, like where you ask the questions and it's like, I'm just going to laugh, <laughs> you know, because like you move towards like, all right, like, how did you have, how did you get to this point where this is the question you ask? So. Yeah, right. Like how many, <laughs> how many drinks did and radio <laughs> conversations did it take to get here? I love that you say nihilism. That's the word I was thinking of. The the, the yeah. character in SLC Punk is a nihilist. Yeah. And his character always frustrated me. And I guess one of the reasons it did, and maybe maybe this is like way too like vulnerable to like express or whatever in a podcast, but um one of the reasons his character bothered me is there is this line in this. I keep referencing everything. I'm so sorry. <laughs> There's a line. Do, in I this, do the same thing. Yeah, I do the same. Thing. In this Ray Lamontag song, Tag Talk. I have no idea how to say his name, but he's an excellent artist. And the song is called "Empty," and it's it's the pain you hide that fuels the fire inside you. And one of my one of my one of my dreams, something that I would really aspire to accomplish in my life is I really want to, um, uh, I really want to adopt a child. Um, and I, I want to adopt a child who's, um, been through similar traumas as I have. And the reason for that is so that I can take these like awful experiences that I've had and to be able to use them to help someone because yeah. my thinking is just like, why did I fucking go through all of this if I can't, you know, create some helpful change or something beautiful out of these things? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's why there's something rather than nothing, I guess, is there there has to be. I, I won't accept that there's not like I. I I've been through things in my life and there has to be, there has to be a reason, a positive reason for why this happened. Like, and if there isn't, I'm going to fucking make it, you know, yeah. like I'm going to take the bull by the horns and like find something beautiful that I can create out of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there's a, a, a piece there, what he says that there's a certain arrogance to the artist. There's a certain there's a certain sub stubbornness to say like this this I'm gonna put push this something in front of you. I'm going to do this. And you know, I was thinking when you're talking about your experience and you know trying to to help 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 others in as intimate as um, adopting is that I saw a quote one time that really stuck with me, and it was 
be the person you needed when you were younger. You know, if there were, if there was this idea of maybe it was a tiny little thing, or maybe it was an affirmation, or maybe it was like an area that nobody knew you were suffering in, but maybe, you know, like be the person that you were looking for there. And, and there's, there's a, there's a kind of deep beauty to that, um, that I was thinking about when you, when you were, when you were talking. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. And yeah, I've always felt that way too. Like I'm, I'm just going to be this person for someone else. I, it just, it just feels right. Um, I guess I, I do definitely have a bit of a sense of an ego and an overarching sense of integrity, <laughs> but I think, um, those come about that like stubbornness you talked about. It's definitely just like, it's a survival thing. Like if I did not have that, like I would not be here. Yeah. And it's just a part of the makeup of who I am. So. All right. Uh, uh, Liz, uh, this is the point where you can be like super conspicuous about pointing to uh, pointing the audience to where to find your stuff. You do a lot of different things. You don't have to hold back on on what the feature. But the main idea is like, you know, um, with your projects, uh, your work, what do you want people to come in contact with? Where do where do they look? Uh, how do they view? I know you mentioned um, um, you know the 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 video of Orfeo uh, May 10. Um, but, um, yeah, so tell us, tell us, uh, where to go, where to look. All right. So, so yeah, so our movie for Orfeo comes out May 10th. Um, it streams online. You can find it, uh, via our website, brooklyntelemon.com. Um, if you don't know, cause I actually found a lot of people, some people are really into Greek mythology. They're like lore Olympus lovers and Jason and the Argonauts was our favorite movie as a kid, et cetera. But just in case you're not, um, the story of Orfeo is um, he was, it's the same story as Hades Town. Aeneas Mitchell um, recently put out that um, Broadway musical. But it's the story of Orpheus who travels to the underworld to, you know, rescue his wife who recently died. Um and he tames the Furies by making this beautiful music. And he basically makes a deal with the devil that, or with Hades or in some of the operas, it's with love itself. It's all very, you know, dependent because <laughs> the story has been told so many times. But he makes a deal where he can bring his beloved back to the mortal realm as long as he doesn't look back at her. And um, that whole concept of you know, trusting your partner to follow you and not looking back is something that's, you know, just like been in the human psyche for hundreds of years, which is why this, this, this opera, this story, this concept is so like amazing. Um, but yeah, so our movie, you can find it online at brooklyntelemon.com. You can follow me on Instagram, Liz Kiger at Liz Kiger. Um, I don't have a separate Instagram for the company. Um, but just like a little bit about our opera and how it's different is number one, it's a movie. Hey. Um, so that's huge. <laughs> it's an hour long. It's an abbreviated version of the Gluck reform of the opera. So this opera, um, it was one of like the, one of the first stories ever told originally 
as an opera by Monteverdi. This is the Gluck reform period version. So what we did was we took um, three different scores of it and we combined all the best parts and then used them to also create some other characters to make it a little bit more fleshed out and like narrative driven. So we have a Hades in it. We have a Sharon. We have a Persephone. Um, we have a puppy. We have a Cerberus, who's the cutest little Pomeranian in the whole world. Um, <laughs> Delphine Waters' debut as Cerberus. And yeah, so it's it's really interesting in that regard. And we have text from Dante's Inferno. The whole thing's in Italian, but there's subtitles. And honestly, if like watching a movie all in Italian is seems like a lot um just by watching the subtitles you just get sucked in and you don't even realize it's in italian anymore the music is so exquisite we pick and chose the the best sections from it and another thing i really want to mention is our title role is a soprano so orpheus is traditionally done by originally a countertenor or oh, originally a castrati slash countertenor um, and oftentimes in some of the like Paris reforms, it's done by a tenor. Um, modern productions usually have it performed by a mezzo-soprano, but a big aspect of our opera company is providing these roles to emerging artists. And we worked with Alexandra Paulus before in our L'Incoronazione di Popea, and her acting ability and her ability to just capture just with her face these these really big emotions and a lot of these big concepts we've been talking about today, but to be able to portray those through music and through her singing, she just kills it. Like I, I knew immediately that she is who I wanted to play Orfeo. And when she accepted, I was just ecstatic to have her on board this project. Um, so having, this is like, the only time a soprano has been Orfeo, like ever. So it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I know that um, Marilyn Horn sang some of the tenor versions of the Orfeo, like the big aria Adio. Um, but she never sang them like in context of the show. So this is the first time we have that. Um, and yeah, and it also brings out this LGBTQIA pairing of female Orpheus with um, female Eurydice. So, yeah. so yeah, sorry to just spout, spout, spout about the show, but it's, it's a pretty fantastic movie shot in Red Komodo 6K. And um, our hey. cinematographer, Matthew Kyle Levine, is just amazing too. Um, so yeah, please go to brooklyntelemon.com, check it out. You'll find our YouTube links and it's free. It's totally free. Um, we don't need any money. Just kidding. But we don't like it. The pur purpose of my company and this whole project is like I said, to make things accessible to people and to, you know, promote these, these beautiful pieces and make it palatable and make it relevant um, the movie shot half outdoors and also half in this abandoned derelict building. So it's got some like very like modern vibes to it. There's, you know, peeling wallpaper and, and graffiti and 
it's it's pretty sick. So please go check it yeah. out. I'm so excited. I want to. I'm so, I'm so excited for it. You're good. Uh, uh, you're good on. You're good on your pitch too. Like I have like now, and the listeners are like now. Let's do this thing. Um, uh, Liz, um, I I want to tell you. Um, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure to chat with you, and um, I really, I've really enjoyed, you know, learning about you, and you know, kind of like the deeper elements of like wh- why, why we do this stuff, right? Like how we dig in and, and what we're trying to do, both in life and in with art. So, um, I really appreciate your time, and honestly, offering uh, us art <laughs> that's going to be available for us uh, very soon, but also. Um, connecting with um your, your teaching and uh you know you as a person and um how you think about how you think about your art um it's been it's been a really distinct pleasure uh chatting with you and um you know maybe on a future episode and i don't know what i'm getting myself into i mean i could just be like liz you're an expert in this um baroque thing can you just like cover baroque right and you'd be like okay (laughs) (laughs) i would love to i i recently gave um a lecture at columbia university on the history of like the castrati tradition and stuff um it's uh something that's always fascinated me i think as a non-binary person um and as someone who sings a lot of the castrati repertoire. So I would love to just spout. I think you can tell I um, I can talk a lot. <laughs> so Yeah, that makes that makes the two of us so that 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 that'll line up. That'll line up part two down the road. But uh, <laughs> folks, uh, uh, connect with uh, connect with Liz now. Uh, Liz Kiger, thank you so much um, for coming on to something rather than nothing. And uh, best of luck with everything. I'm going to follow closely uh, the great art you create. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like so honored to be a guest. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, continuing to connect. Yeah, pleasure is ours. And of course, uh, being from Rhode Island originally, I do have to give a shout out to Brooklyn. It's obligatory. Shout out to Brooklyn. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, Liz, all the way from here. Out on the other coast in Oregon, uh, Liz Kiger, thank you so much, and we'll chat again soon. This is Something Rather Than Nothing 